All right, if you, as you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to be in the Gospel of John with me. I am going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to do my best to make sure that you don't get whiplash or vertigo as we do it. But let's start in John chapter 19. Father, would you be with us as we look closely at your Son through the Bible? Father, I'm so grateful. Would you do what would make you happiest this morning? Amen. So I'm reading through the Bible this week quite a bit, and I'm in one of those phases in preaching life where I never know what I'm preaching until late Saturday, which is fine. And, uh, but I was, I'm in the Bible, and I'm boning up on my Greek a little bit, and I'm in John chapter 19, and I'm reading through this scene in John. It's late in Jesus's life. In fact, he's going to be crucified later this day. And he's in, he's been already arrested the night before. He's been beaten up. He's been brought to Pilate, who has given him kind of an initial trial, and then sent him to be tortured with scourging, and then brought him back for the rest of his trial, which is, I guess, how they did it back then. Innocent until scourged, 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 and then proven guilty. And here is Jesus, and Pilate knows something's wrong. He knows that the Jewish leaders who have brought Jesus to Pilate to have him crucified are not doing this with pure motives. And so he's trying to figure this out. He's trying to figure Jesus out. He's playing with them a little bit. Not that he's super excited to be a pawn in their games. And he's trying to figure things out. And he says to them, why don't we start in verse 4 here. He says, Pilate went out again and said to them, meaning the Jewish leader, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may may know that I find no guilt in him. So he's scourged him, he's tried him, but he doesn't find anything that Jesus has done that deserves to be crucified. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So John is telling us that Pilate really does not like how this is going. And he's afraid now that he's heard that someone has called himself the Son of God, and he realizes that the Jewish leaders take this claim serious enough to want to eliminate him. And he entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered him over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar's. So when Pilate heard these words, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat and essentially condemned him to death. 
I was just really struck by this scene here, particularly Pilate's fear. Pilate was a Roman governor or Roman prelate. I'm not sure exactly his official title, but he was in Jerusalem ruling over this area in the name of Rome. And essentially Pilate's job was to be there as an ambassador of Rome, which had conquered the known world or conquered um, in its time everywhere from Britain all the way over to um, essentially like the Middle East and then a lot of North Africa as well. Pretty much everywhere you'd wanted to go, they'd conquered some way or another. And here is Pilate. He's uh, not the king of this area because they found it a bit more expedient to have somebody else ruling as king, but he's the governor to make sure everything's functioning just the way Rome wants to. And his job essentially is there to make sure Rome gets its taxes and to kill everybody who causes trouble. That's his job. So putting people to death is a normal day for Pilate. And we know this because when Jesus was crucified later that day, there were two other people crucified with Jesus, and Barabbas was also supposed to be crucified, but Barabbas got released instead of Jesus. Do you remember that? So this was going to be a hat trick day for Pilate, but it was just a normal day. Crucifying troublemakers was Pilate's job, not something that made him afraid. But... He has this man named Jesus from Nazareth in his headquarters being interrogated and tortured and not behaving the way people behave when this stuff is happening. Pilate would probably have gotten very used to how people get behave when they're arrested by Rome and going in between interrogation and torture. And Jesus is not behaving normally, and it is freaking Pilate out. So when Pilate comes to him and says, and he's, he's being told that there is something fearfully supernatural about this man, and he says, comes back with this loaded question, where are you from? Jesus won't even respond to him which is not how people who are being interrogated after being tortured act. And so Pilate is scandalized and stunned and amazed and afraid and says, you won't even speak to me? Like, who's in control of this conversation? Not Pilate anymore. With the one with the guards with the swords right there. You, you can't even make you talk to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus responded to him, Yeah, your authority to crucify me, you you wouldn't even have it unless it was given to you from above. Which is kind of tricky. Because Jesus has this way of answering people in the Gospels when they didn't know he was answering them. Where is Jesus from? From above. The same place that Pilate would get any of his authority. He's from heaven. So Jesus actually does answer him, but Pilate is not, he doesn't have ears to hear it. But the last thing, as I read this story, that Pilate was expecting someone to say when he's saying to him, Pilate's essentially saying, look, I can let you go. I actually don't want to do this. Don't you know that I can kill you today or I can let you go? Like, say something. The last thing that he was expecting Jesus to say was, the authority you have to kill me isn't even yours. And then just stand there. 
And Pilate, his, his response is, I've got to get out of here. And as Scripture says, he's, he's trying to get rid of Jesus. He's try, he says, he, therefore, he sought to release him. And if it weren't for the mob outside shouting for his death, he would have just been like, go away and never come back. I don't know what to do with you. But even more surprising to me is Jesus' words from himself. Not necessarily even Pilate's response, but just what Jesus said. Here is the Roman governor who has already had him tortured. Jesus is standing there with the crown of thorns, impaling his flesh in his head. He's got the robe that is covering the flogging marks that are still bleeding and pussing in his back, and they're not clean wounds. He's been sweating into these things on a hot day, and they sting and scream at him. And as Pilate is saying, I have authority to release you and kill you, Jesus' response is, the authority you have to kill me comes from my Father. That's unusual for anyone to talk like that. What would have to be going on inside of your heart and your head to be in a situation where someone's going to put you to death and you're standing there calmly saying, the fact that you have authority to kill me comes from my Heavenly Father? Don't we usually, like, we would plead, right? Yeah, don't kill me. That sounds great. I'm too young to die. Or I'm too old to die. Or whatever it is not to die. Who talks like that? Who stands tortured and is about to get tortured some more into death and just says, this is the will of my Father. And as I think about these things, I remember some teaching I heard a while ago and reheard just about Jesus and the Father's interaction at Jesus' baptism. So I'm going to skip forward a few chapters and a book to Luke chapter 3 where we have this story of and the scene of Jesus being baptized in the river Jordan. And it goes like this. It says, When all the people were, beat, were baptized by John the Baptist, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the, the teaching I heard, which I think is true and good, was something along these lines. This is one of the only scenes we have in all of the Bible when God the Father is speaking to God the Son, and it's just them talking. And Jesus is on earth, and he's been baptized in obedience to the Father's will, and he comes up and he's praying. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, meaning God's presence is there. And Jesus is being anointed and empowered for his ministry. And the Father speaks. And he says, you're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And what somebody has suggested, and I I can't imagine it's not true, is that this scene here of the Father and the Son together is a scene of perfect fatherhood, And this is what it's like in the Father and the Son's relationship. 
This is who the Father is. He is a person who loves his Son and is happy in him. It got cold a couple days ago. Did anybody notice that? It's so cold that my windows are crying. Every morning there's tears all over the bottom of them. I try to comfort them. Tell them it will only last a few more years before it warms up. I mean months. But the wonderful thing in Manitoba is that usually when you get one of these deep freeze spells, the sun comes out, right? It seems like the habit. I'm sure it's not 100%, but when it's warm, it's overcast and depressive. But when it's kill you cold outside, it is sunny as all get out with one big azure sheet of blue overhead. And uh, the other morning, we were having breakfast, and one of the kids was sitting at the table, and then he, he just sat down into a sunbeam, first real sunbeam we've had in a long time, and he, he just went like this, oh, that's warm. <laughs> and for me, truth like this is exactly that. The sun is this big, hot thing a million miles away, but... Every once in a while, you'll sit down right in the beam of it and you'll go, oh, oh yeah. Oh, this is good. And to care about and to hear about what the father's relationship with the son is like could seem like something that's happening a million miles away. But if you'll sit down in the beam of the glory and goodness of it, you'll see that it is a warm and good thing. And it does kind of make everything right with the world. As I imagine stuff like this, I, I like to think about, you know, what this is what God was like before he made anything. What, what, what is eternity past like? Was it just the father sitting around wishing that someone would invent an Xbox so he'd have something to do? Did he make the world because he was lonely? Because he needed someone to love? Nope. The Father has been staring at Jesus forever going, You are my son who I love. You make me so happy. That's what the Father's like. Before anybody wakes up in the morning, the Father is so unmeasurably happy with Jesus. You will never meet anyone as happy as the Father. He is madly in love with his perfect son, and he wants everyone to know it. Which is why he made everyone. But this is a truth. It, this is a truth. Like, when you think, what's God like? Is the first thing that comes to mind. Man, he is happy. He lo- Do you know how much he loves Jesus? But, ah, he's, the, he's just crazy. The happiest person unimaginable. Is that, is that what we think? What's God like? Okay. When the father's talking to son, his son, and he doesn't care who's listening, this is how he talks. He shows up at the baptism. It's like, you know, Jesus was playing hockey. Baptism hockey, a little bit different, but involves water, so I'm halfway there. And he shows up at his son's game, and Jesus scores a goal by getting in the baptismal water, and up pops the father. You know, he's wearing the same jersey as his kid with the kid number on the back. And he's like, whose kid is that? 
Oh, yeah, it's my kid. Go, my kid. Woo! He's like the most embarrassing hockey dad. The world could use more embarrassing hockey dads in this way. Sometimes there's embarrassing hockey dads, the bad way. This is what the father is like, and I love it. I worship him. Because he loves Jesus so much. I worship him. Because forever before he made the first day, he loved his son. And was proud of him. He's amazing. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. I love it. His son, in return, loves him too and wants to show it with his obedience. Later on in chapter 6 of John, not Luke. Let's go back to John. I'm, I'm leaking from the face today. We have this really interesting scene. I just want to talk about Jesus showing his love for the Father and how, and this is where it starts to get really good for us. He's fed the 5,000. Remember, he did this miracle. There's this big crowd and they had no food. And so he just grabbed a couple of leftovers from the fridge, some young kids' lunch, they say, and, and fed everybody with it. And the next day, the crowds come hunting for Jesus. And Jesus. He loves people, but he also understands that we have mixed motives sometimes, and sometimes we just want Jesus around because we think we'll get stuff for free. And so he starts to kind of confront him with this. And they don't respond well. They start demanding greater and larger miracles. Do something like Moses did. Make manna rain down from heaven for us and stuff like this. And so Jesus responds to them in verse 35 of chapter 6. And it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So good. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And there's so many good things going on here, but one of the things I love about the Gospel of John is in this Gospel we get the most from Jesus about what he thinks about the Father too and the most of his inner workings, and why he does stuff, and why he thinks things. And when Jesus was doing his ministry, and doing his life, and getting ready for the cross, and getting ready for that day when Pontius Pilate would have him killed before he's raised from the dead, Jesus looked about the world and the people he was ministering to, and he saw the people who would believe in him as this precious love gift from the Father. This father who loved him so much and is so pleased with him from eternity past that he's like, I have to give you something. The problem is there's nothing. 
So I'm going to make everything. And I'm going to give it to you. Because I love you so much and I'm so pleased with you. And so this is Jesus in his head. He's going around preaching and some people receive him and some people don't. But the people that he sees truly receive him. He sees them as people that God has given to him. A love gift from the Father. Which is crazy. Because if you're a Christian, it means you're a love gift from the Father to the Son. You are, but the Father who loves His Son without measure forever is His love gift to His Son to show His Son how much He loves Him. That's an almost unbearable fact. I don't care if it's bearable. I care if it's true, and it's true. Ah! Who could... God, what do we do? We're the Father's gift to Jesus. Ah! What's the point of living? To be the Father's pleasure in His Son, to His Son. This is amazing. And because the Son loves the Father back, He wants to do all of His Father's will, no matter what. And this is where it gets so comforting for me, because Jesus says this, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Are you looking to the Son? To believe in Him? Do you believe He's the Son of God? Do you believe that He came in God's will to rescue you from your sin and to give you eternal life? Jesus says, my job is to raise you up and I will not fail. I always do the will of my Father and His will is that everyone who looks on me and believes should have eternal life and I will not fail. And the crazy thing is we hear these things when Jesus is talking to people who don't believe in Him. He just told the crowd, you guys see me, you don't know me, but the people who do see me know me. My Father's will is that I grant them eternal life and I'm going to do it. And you can't stop me, and hell can't stop me, and Pilate can't stop me, and life can't stop me, and death can't stop me, and riches can't stop me, and poverty can't stop me, and 36 Mackenzie can't stop me, and 305 Main Street can't stop me, and nothing can stop me. I do the will of my Father because I love Him, and He loves me. Kaplow. This is part of why I'm just so amazed at at the Father and the Son that their love for each other and their pleasure in each other would overflow into a creation and overflow into the Father wanting to give sinners to His Son as a gift and would overflow in the Son saying, I will not lose any of your gift, Father, because I love you even at the cost of the cross. So that when Pilate says to me, I can let you go, I will stand there and say, I'm not doing anything apart from the will of my Father. I'm so amazed at the the goodness and the love of the Father and the Son together because it's mine. The night before Jesus was arrested and then brought to Pilate for condemnation and execution, he had this extended conversation with his disciples. 
trying to prepare them for when, uh, for surviving the trauma of abandoning him and then seeing him crucified and then the time waiting before they saw him again. And he says to them, this is in chapter 14, starting in verse 18. He says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you let a little while, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, meaning he dies. But you will see me when he appeared to them after his resurrection. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he calls us to live like that because... He shows his love for the Father by obeying his will. He says, you too, you guys too. This is how you show love to God. This is how you show love to me. You do what I say. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that we're supposed you're going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? Judas doesn't quite get it. And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. I am so amazed that the Father could love the Son so much and does, and it's wonderful. I'm so amazed that the Son could love the Father so much and just do his will in love, no matter what. I I can't come to grips with this scripture yet, emotionally, mentally, that because I believe in Jesus and hold fast to his word, that the Father loves me too, the same way he loves Jesus. And that in the presence of the Holy Spirit, they have come and made their home with me. That we're the home of God. The love home of God. Like, how generous can you get? That this is the plan. that the love and of the Father and the Son that has no limits and has been existing forever, that the plan is if people will receive your words, Jesus, and receive you, we will come and live with them and give them the same love that we've always had for each other without measure forever. Which means you're going to have to make them live forever, Jesus. Okay, I can do that because you want me to do it, it's done. Why is it important to to look at this stuff? Um, There are lots of do's and don'ts for being a Christian. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that there isn't. Why does God give us do's and don'ts? It's because a lot of the stuff that we want to do interferes with us enjoying the love of God and maxing out our pleasure in Jesus and receiving the pleasure of God. 
That, that's what sin is. It's having the offer of the love and joy of God and saying, no, there's something else more important than you. I'd rather be miserable. And it's such a pervasive, potent, addictive bondage that the only thing that could separate us from that, the clutches of choosing something else instead of the eternal love of God, was Jesus dying on the cross for us. So that that addiction, that bondage to trying to find something other than the joy of God could be severed without us being wrecked. So that we could be happy in the Lord forever. And it's also good to talk about this stuff because I actually know what you want. I'm not a smart man, but I do know what love is. And I know that deep down you want to be loved with a love you can't lose. You want someone to know you and not run away. You want someone to know all about you and stay and want you and like you. And the offer in Jesus is that the Father who knows how to enjoy something without measure, because he's been enjoying Jesus without measure forever, and to want and love someone without measure, because he's been wanting and loving his Son without measure for all eternity, will come to us and want us and love us and enjoy us with the same passion and power and eternal and unlimited ability that he does his own precious Son. Salvation is you get the Father. I, I joked, I don't joke about this so much, but I just, I don't care where I go when I die, as long as the Father's there. If, if heaven is being stuck in an elevator that is just doing Muzak, the sound of music tracks, for a hundred million years, if that's where the Father is, that's where I want to be. It's a person. It's not a golf course around a hockey rink with unlimited virgins. It's a person. It's the love of the Father. That is heaven. Heaven is where, wherever you're at peace with the Father and He gets to love you like He wants to and you receive it and love Him back. That's heaven. And that's why, to take us back to John 19, that's why when Pilate came to Jesus and said, don't you know I have the authority to set you free or kill you? He said, I am doing what the Father wants. Because the Father's given me all these people, and the only way to get them is to die for them. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I don't get it. I can't handle it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to just be like, let's give money away. <laughs> Then it's not doesn't feel like you're staring at the sun. And worship is staring at the sun. It's too much. He's too good. Now ah, we need to sing. Somebody rescue me. So this is the call.
I don't, I don't even know if I want to mess this up. But Why don't we consider re- rejigging who we think the Father is? And if when you think about who God is, if you don't imagine him as, him as being the happiest person you've ever met, I want you to, I want to invite you to come and see him how Jesus sees him. Someone so good and so joyful and so pure and perfect that whatever he could want is what you should do because he only wants the best. And wherever you might see in your life one of these hesitations, there's the yeah buts come out or the turning away or it can't be good or I don't want to get hurt again. Uh, I want to tell you that Jesus is so patient. He knows how to be gentle. He promised that anybody who comes to him, he'd by no means turn them away. Maybe this is the only truth you need today. Everyone who comes to Jesus, Jesus promised, and he never lies. He said, there's no way I'm going to turn anybody who comes to me away. It's impossible. Anybody who, if you want, want to come to the Father through Jesus, Jesus will not turn you away. It's the Father's will that you should be raised up on the last day so you could be with the Father forever. So I'm done. May the Lord give us strength, each one of us, to believe the truth about God. And all God's people said...